With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is here. We're going to talk about a lot of just kind of a grab bag of NBA draft topics, right, Penny? Like we've got, uh, we've got Luca Garza, we've got Tennessee guys, we've got the Gonzaga Baylor discussion, and we're going to talk about their prospects. Like there's just kind of a lot to run through here. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. There's the micro view, the macro view. We're covering the whole, the whole shebang for everybody today. And, And of course, because this podcast has essentially become a Kentucky basketball podcast when Penny is on the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kentucky Sports Radio sponsored, yeah. Yeah, shout out KSR, shout out Matt Jones. Uh, we have to talk about John Calipari talking about Keon, or uh, Terrence Clark last night. Terrence Clark has missed the last, what is it, the last five weeks, right, Matt? That's what he said in the quote, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's the last five weeks. And look, (laughs) it certainly seems like there are some questions regarding uh, what what the exact deal is with Terrence Clark. I I don't necessarily want to, like, get into the veracity of, like, is Terrence Clark injured? Is he sitting out? There are NBA executives, like, who wonder that. So, it would behoove Terrence Clark to play if he can play, especially given that I'll say what I said in my little newsroom quote that I gave uh, our The Athletics newsroom and talked to Kyle Tucker about. Like, NBA scouts have questions about Terrence Clark's maturity, let's say, right? That's fair. Yes. I mean, you're up in Boston. You've been around like you've this is these are not new questions they've followed him since high school i believe that i've even seen terrence clark give quotes to the boston herald saying he needs to work on his maturity i am impressed you're quoting the boston herald that's that's pretty good that means you're doing a real a real deep dive a real forensic dig on your your draft intel yeah that it's it's fallen a little bit he's always just been super talented i thought he put some of those questions to rest a little bit during the prep school years, but they did start creeping up again, kind of in that transition from the end of high school into getting to Kentucky, and then when he got on campus as well. So last night, John Calipari, after they lose 75-70 to 70 to Missouri, says, after five weeks, you're still limping, and there's nothing wrong, there's no MRI, there's nothing there, but players know their pain and what their pain threshold is, so if he's limping around, I'm not going to play him. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know why Calipari decided to dive into the veracity of Terrence Clark's injury. Uh, that, that seems like a bad idea for Calipari, right? From an outside player's perspective, future recruiting stuff, potentially, yes. A, as a motivational tool, if there's more to it, maybe not so much, but I, I get your spin, your slant to it. Yeah, like maybe the idea here from Cal is something along the lines of, look, 
if he can play, like we need to get him on the court. If he can't play, that's okay. But like we've come to a point now where we need to like really make a decision on things. Like it, it kind of feels like that's what is happening here, right? He's essentially looking around the room and saying, "What's going on here?" It made me think of. I know you'll do a different reference, but have you ever seen the program? A long time, like 10 years ago, probably. 1993. It's a football movie. Yeah. And James Kahn, who's, you know, Sonny Corleone from The Godfather, he asked a player, more or less, are you hurt or are you injured? Yeah. And it's like, I, I felt it was it was similar sentiments there that, okay, are you hurt or are you injured? Are, do you have really something here that you need to sit out, which is fine? Or, like, are you going to come and play basketball because we need help to win games? Yeah, like the one that I immediately thought of was Ted Lasso, which you haven't watched yet, right? <laughs> I haven't, but I love Sudeikis, so. Yeah, you should watch Ted Lasso. It's like the greatest show I've seen this year. I have so thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, I probably will watch it again very, very soon. Uh, and he goes on this, like, rant to one of his star players, like, Allen Iverson does with the practice rant and just says practice like 18 times. It's very clearly a self-referential uh, moment where they're making fun of the practice rant with Allen Iverson. But it starts with him asking this guy, like, you know, are you going to miss practice today? And the guy says, no, I'm hurt. And Jason Sudeikis just looks at him and goes, well, if you're hurt, you're hurt. It's as simple as that. And then like he goes on like a three minute rant about why but it's not as simple as that. So it was just <laughs> an immediate moment where I thought this is a strange choice from Calipari, but I understand if he's trying to motivate his player to try and get back on the court. It's just a weird, it's unlike something that I've seen uh, in the past, but you know, this is something that you noted to me uh, that I didn't even really see. Like, Rick Barnes just did this with Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, apparently, right? Yeah, so they lost 52-50 to 50 to Ole Miss the other night. Both Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer started, which has kind of gone back and forth. Keon Johnson just got into the starting lineup. Jaden Springer was hurt. So uh, post-game, he was very upset. Coach Rick Barnes said, it's the young guys trying to figure their way through some of this, realizing that, hey, these are guys that can play, referring to Ole Miss. Some of our turnovers, again, are absolutely ridiculous. Then he continued about how frustrated he was, said not listening, coming out of timeouts, throwing the ball to the wrong side, opposed to throwing it where it's supposed to be, whether it's listening or understanding. We call some plays, and one guy or a couple guys will look around and say, what is it and where? When we have the older group on the floor, we can execute more. The younger group just does not understand the importance of offensive execution the way they need to. See, like, so not, not, so not pulling any punches. I mean, we know who the young guys are here. Yeah, like, it's very clear that he's talking about Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. And, like, to be real with what we've seen from Tennessee this year, the young guys might be right. <laughs> like, oh, here we go, man. You just <laughs> dig in the heels. I got to work and see these people. God, like, keep going. Tennessee has the number one defense in college basketball right now. They are genuinely a great defensive team. And by the way, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are a part of that. Those two are not the typical young guys on defense. They are very good on defense. They are the 71st ranked offense in the country. They're ranked 11th in the SEC in offense. They have under a 100 offensive efficiency right now in SEC play. That is like disgracefully bad. And... <laughs> If right. you watch this team, there's way too much of an emphasis 
around like let's get the ball into the post to John Fulkerson and let's not take a lot of threes despite the fact that we have Santiago Viscovi who can shoot we have Victor Bailey who can shoot we have Josiah Jordan James who can shoot like run run like spaced out offense like look even Fulkerson can like handle the ball out on the perimeter right Eve Pons is comfortable taking corner threes like this is a team that is tailor-made to play a well-spaced five out you know four around one offense at best and instead like they're they're just not doing that like they're getting only a quarter of their points coming from beyond the three point line. They take only 32% of their three point, uh, or only 32% of their field goals are three point attempts. Like it's it, it, honestly, I think that it's kind of a poor job of managing their offensive talent this year. Oof. Uh, they have seven guys averaging eight points per game or more. So they do spread the ball out a lot. And look, I mean, we've said this before about how, Kentucky, this is a common theme here in the show. Kentucky needs BJ Boston to be good. I'd argue that Tennessee now, if, if you're scoring 50 points, you need Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson to be good. The Tennessee lost both games to Florida and Missouri that Springer was off, out. He's coming off an SEC freshman of the week game, but that game against Ole Miss, it, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. He had two points on one of seven shooting. He was kind of forcing the action, trying to drive through guys as opposed to running some offense. It got to the point, this is the first time I thought this year, he had taken really good shots. His shot selection was very solid. I felt like he was kind of trying to create a little bit more than he should have been. It got him into trouble. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying there, but I think that the key difference here for Kentucky versus Tennessee in these circumstances is like John Calipari is doing whatever he can to get B.J. Boston going. Or like to get those young guys going because he understands to reach Kentucky's ceiling, Kentucky needs those players to be great. It's the same at Tennessee, right? And we've seen a lot more from Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson in terms of like talent and translation to the college game than we've seen at any point this year from BJ Boston. Like I'm not saying these guys are full on ready to like handle the load by themselves offensively, but there's a case for giving them the ball and running like a five out offense where these two guys who are tremendous slashers get into the paint, collapse the defense, uh, make high level passes because, oh, by the way, both of them are actually pretty good passers too. Like it's not like they're selfish players. Like they make the right plays when the play presents itself for the most part. So whereas Kentucky, I think is trying to get the most out of their guys. I think that. Tennessee is holding their freshmen back a little bit because of the scheme that they run, because of the emphasis on tossing the ball into the post to Fulkerson. Like, I, it's it's a different situation, I think, and that that's what makes Tennessee like the most frustrating team to me, almost in the country, because like Kentucky just might not be talented enough, right? Like we can at this point say that Kentucky just might not be good enough to win the number of games that I thought that they could win this year. Tennessee clearly has the talent to be good enough. I think they are the number one defense in college basketball. They have a lot of really high level offensive players who have disparate skills that we've seen showcase themselves throughout the course of the season for them to have a offense outside of the top 70 with this roster and an offense outside of the top 10 in the sec with this roster. Like, look, man, like I, I 
it's hard for me to get past like the coaching part of it. Like I'm just going to be real with it. You're real. Uh, do you? Okay. So a couple of things with, with Springer and with Keon Johnson, I don't want to read too far between the lines, but some of the issues I'm guessing is the turnovers. So James Springer sure. average, averaging close to three assists, but two turnovers a game. Keon Johnson has 35 assists this year to 34 turnovers. Yep. Uh, putting a little spin on it is like Coach Rick Barnes saying that, like, I just don't trust those guys end of the game. They both missed key one-on-ones down the stretch, which ended up being huge when you, you lose by two points. I mean, is it a... But I mean, isn't is the case is, that isn't the case that if you would run more of a like well spaced offense where these guys had bigger driving lanes, potentially had bigger passing windows, that the court would be less condensed for them, and thus they wouldn't have like three defenders around them at all times, and potentially sure. would fair. limit the turnovers a bit more and yeah. make easier offensive passing reads. Yeah, fair point. And from three point land this year james springer's nine for 16 i mean the 56 percent jumps out but it's not a ton of looks i mean he's still a better slasher a better driver he wants to play physical he wants to go through guys but yeah maybe the lanes are open a little bit wider so that rotational guy isn't there right away that he has to force and and make a tough decision yeah like i I think that what they should be doing at this point right now, and look, like they play a decent amount of like Fulkerson Anasiki lineups and they play like Eve Pons Fulkerson lineups and stuff like that. I would like them to go small more often, like just straight up, like Eve Pons can handle the five. He can handle it from a rim protection perspective and he would open up the rest of your offense. You play Eve Pons at the five. You play Josiah Jordan James at the four, and then you play, let's say, three of Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, Victor Bailey, Santiago Vescovi. Like, I'm not even saying you need to play Keon and Jaden all the time, because I think that they have not been necessarily good enough to have, like, just full-on earned playing time over the older guys. But I think that from a structural lineup perspective... It just makes more sense for them to go small given their issues right now. Yeah, and you usually have like the number breakdowns of what the best five rotational set is for each team. And I'd I'd kinda argue or suggest that Springer and Keon can play together because Yep. Just by the numbers a little bit, Jaden's a little bit better shooter. Keon struggled. He's like six for twenty three from three, but he makes a lot of good plays on the move. He's a little bit more electric off the bounce that he can get in the lane spin make a decision so like those guys can play together point guard play has hurt them a little bit too i mean viscovi i think is better suited as kind of like a secondary guard as well so it's like a lot of responsibility on his shoulders i, I just don't I, i'm not ringing the alarm yet either i mean they played a bad game and look jane springer had two points on one for seven shooting and much of the game he was guarded by matt morell who is his high school team at img We've seen this movie happen a little bit in the past where former teammates kind of lock up and take it super personally. And I remember the last year for Jordan Wara, they're playing Georgia Tech and playing Jose Alvarado, who's smaller than him, but they played grassroots basketball together, took it very personally, and Jordan just simply didn't play well. So there's plenty of time to bounce back. I'm not panicking here. Maybe just opening up the offense a little bit more, not playing two sort of traditional bigs together will cure a lot of these ills that we're talking about. Yeah, and look, like, I'm not even saying that this should be a full-time, like, the only thing that they do lineup either. 
I just think that they could stand to do more of it. Uh, so far this season, lineups with Viscovi, Keon Johnson, Josiah Jordan James, Victor Bailey, Eve Pons have scored 1.24 points per 100 possessions. Lineups with Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, Viscovi, Victor Bailey, Eve Pons have scored 1.15 points per 100 possessions. Pons, Bailey, James, Viscovi, Springer, so without Keon, have scored over one point per 100 possessions. It's very clear that these smaller lineups are better for them offensively than what so they're your, doing your, right now. Your hypothesis was correct. It's kind of like yeah. you uh, beat your head against the wall every time Kansas goes big. Yeah, I don't even beat my head against the wall. Like Again, like I think that there's a place for playing guys like David McCormick and John Fulkerson. I think they should probably play 20 minutes a night even. like I'm not even saying that you go small all the time. They just Tennessee has not been willing to go small enough yet to open up their offense in my opinion okay so as let, let's shift downward to we talked about them as a team prospect wise what's your latest read on i guess we'll start with Jaden springer he's kind of ascended some draft boards i mean he, he's all over the place i've seen him lottery i've seen him late first i've seen him mid second where, where do you kind of slot him at these days after seeing him more lately yeah, I think that where we had him in the mock draft, I think we had him like right around like 20 to 22, something like that. I would have him somewhere in the 20 to 30 range right now. When I watch Jaden Springer, he, he's just like a solid player, I think. Like he's a good defender. He's tough. He has a good physical frame at 200 pounds. He is technically pretty strong with his handle. Like I don't think he's necessarily a super creative ball handler but he gets to the spots that he needs to go to and generally like when he has space and time i think makes reasonable decisions like he doesn't take a ton of bad shots uh as you mentioned up until this old miss game so the things that worry me here are that he's six foot four with a six foot four wingspan and has a tendency at that size to just load leap off of two feet into guys every single time he tries to finish at the basket that's not going to work at the next level. Like Donovan Mitchell did that when he was young at Louisville. Donovan Mitchell is six foot three with a seven foot wingspan and has like real vertical pop. Jaden Springer is six foot four with six foot four wingspan and has like, okay, vertical pop. Like I don't necessarily think he's an like a bad athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but he is not a like freak show in terms of his measurements or leaping ability. So that like bullshit jumping off of two feet and going into Rudy Gobert or Steven Adams or Clint Capella or James Wiseman or whoever you're going into, let alone uh, outside of Gobert, like the best rim protectors in the league, like a Joel Embiid and Miles Turner, it's just not going to work at the next level, like period, point blank. Right. So yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Donovan Mitchell at Donovan. I always say Donovan. People give me crap. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, when he was at Brewster Academy, he posted a video where he shot and made a three, ran to the rim, caught it on the make, and windmilled it. Uh, I don't think Jaden Springer's doing that, but he must have heard some of the critics as he posted something on Twitter the other day of him going through layup lines and his head was way above the rim. I'm worried about how he plays versus length. Like when they played Kansas, like he could score on Akbaji, but it was like after missing the first and kind of like staying with the play. And yeah. putting it back in. It wasn't the initial one right now. Uh, I am a little worried about the handle. He turns it over too much right now. And Ole Miss and Kansas really like got him rushed and trapped him a little bit. 
what we haven't talked about is I do like his defense. He has good yeah. instincts to rotate, very active hands of the ball. He'll sit down in a stance, can show guys different looks. There's one possession against Ole Miss. He's guarding Jarkel Joyner, and he fought over the top of Iverson's screen. Then the screener turns back, sets another one, then over a, like a dribble handoff and challenged. Like he fought three different looks there. There's another, he denied an entry pass for a deflection. He recovered it, threw it off the guy, laying out of bounds for a turnover. There's some stuff to like. And what people are starting to lean on a little bit now is he is super young. He doesn't turn yep. 19 until September 25th. But it's got to be a reality that if the NBA thing happens, it's going to be a lot of time developing the G League. I just don't think he's ready to get drafted and come in right away and play 10 minutes a night in the league. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. The other guy here is Keon Johnson, and Keon's weird, man. Like, it's he do, he has not gotten the most out of his athleticism this year. And again, like, mm. I think we can point to the fact that every time he goes up to jump around the basket, there are four guys there and it's just harder in those scenarios to get the most out of your leaping ability. But even like the first step, like it's been okay. And he's been recovering from an, or he's coming back from an injury. I don't think he's still recovering, but like he's still probably getting his bearings back from the injury that he had in high school. I believe he tore his meniscus in his senior year, if that's right. Yeah. He's, he's out for a significant amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is like a real shot that, some of his athleticism and confidence in that athleticism is still returning. And I think he's looked better throughout the season athletically, but he doesn't get as much out of the athleticism as what I anticipated him getting out of it coming into the year. Yeah. You want to be a little bit more assertive and it's interesting because when I was watching his stuff, I don't, I went back and watched the game last night and some other clips and he beats his man with that first step. You're absolutely right. And it's pretty quick, but now it's like he has to go to finishing school. Like, he gets there, he jumps up kind of in the middle of the lane and, like, yells yep. and hopes something happens. He's not turning and really dunking on guys yet. He had one rip through baseline in the second half against Ole Miss with, like, six minutes left, which he didn't finish. But he had that explosiveness and attack mode that you want him to do a little bit more frequently. Uh, the jumper numbers aren't great, but I don't see, like, crazy red flags where I don't think it can improve. Uh, the defense is way ahead of the offense. He doesn't sleep weak side. He's ready to react to ball reversals. He digs, he stunts, he recovers, switches, he plays multiple spots. I like his fluidity, but we're kind of giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt to saying he's still a, a top 10 guy. I mean, is it because he's also young and turns 19 next month? No, I, I think he's, I think we're definitely giving him benefit of the doubt. Like, I, I would say he's somewhere in the like, 10 to like 20 range at the moment or yeah. 11 to 20. Um, I, I would not put him as a top 10 prospect right now, even as someone coming into the year. I mean, I was as big of a fan of Keon as just about anyone. Uh, I think I had him at like number four or number five on my board. Uh, I, I would say right now he's like, I would still take a flyer on him overtaking Franz Wagner. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like I have Franz Wagner at 16, Something like that, 17. So somewhere in that 11 to 17 range right now for Keon Johnson seems right. A guy that has an incredible amount of upside due to the physical tools that he has. But this is a project and this is a like high upside. I don't want to say low floor because I do think that his high level defense gives him a relatively like 
Like the bottom is not going to totally fall out on Keon Johnson because of the defense. But there is a chance that like he's an eighth or ninth man in terms of that. And I think that that's bad if you're taking a guy at number 11. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's the num the numbers too, and so I'll just have one one quick trivia question. So, for him, nine points per game, almost three rebounds, two assists, forty four percent from the field, twenty six percent from three, sixty seven percent from the free throw line. There's another player in the SEC with a similar position as him: ten and a half points per game, four rebounds per game, two assists, fifty percent from the field, forty two percent from three, seventy four from the free throw line. Who is it? Are you going to give me Herb Jones? Oh, I wish. Her, Herb's assist numbers are better. Scotty Lewis. Okay. Yeah. Scotty so, Lewis. Uh, look, I, I know Scotty's probably, I think, close to two years older than him. But most guys have Scotty Lewis like 40 in that range, right? Like yeah. 35 to 45. Keon's obviously younger, but both super athletes, both have more of the defensive end. But we're just kind of like slotting Keon a little bit higher than, I don't know, I think more that he's kind of put on paper consistently and his his per 40 numbers are better i get it; he's playing 20 22 minutes a game on a loaded team but it hasn't been like a, a total exclamation point like i'm a top seven guy no i agree with you i could not agree with you more uh and for what it's worth like when i talk to nba evaluators i think they are coming more to that side on keon johnson that like maybe he's not a 2021 guy uh, maybe he needs to finish the season a bit stronger. But the fact that he does not get as much out of his athleticism as he could, and I think in part it's like his handle is not strong enough to do that yet. Like right. he needs to tighten up his handle substantially. But the fact that he doesn't get as much of that athleticism kind of showcasing itself on the court is what we thought coming into the year when we preordained him as like a top five guy. Yeah, that's a concern for NBA teams. Like that's a very real concern for the evaluators that I've talked to. And I think that they are not sold on Keon Johnson being like a surefire, uh, even lottery pick right now. Is there any chance we see one or two of those guys going back to school or do you think it's a done deal? They're gone. I mean, look, like I tend not to comment on like very specific situations. I'll say in general terms, among all of these guys that have had, I don't want to say subpar seasons, but seasons like slightly worse than what we were hoping for i would expect that we get at least one or two of them who go back oh i like it save college basketball come back to school i don't know i i'd like to agree with you i don't have as much chatter on on that stuff especially this time of year they are both very young and uh, like like keon john he could spend some time in the g league you just never know oh keon will spend time in the g league right yeah yeah like i want to slice everybody but like you put him on the, let's say, what team like specifically needs wings right now? Like even like Detroit, like I don't see how he gets on the court over Svi Mikhailuk's shooting right now for Detroit. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like there's no way he's playing over Wayne Ellington shooting 44% from three right now. Uh, yes. There's no way he's playing over DeLon Wright. There's no way that he's... uh playing over like Derek Rose and even like Josh Jackson, who has not been great this year, but like Josh Jackson has gone through the trials and tribulations that we, and, and like, look, Josh Jackson's had other things that go beyond trials and tribulations. Other as well. trials and tribulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such as his decision to enter, uh, what was it, the, the concert thing in Miami and try and like jump the barrier. 
Like, I think that you said was, the wrong wristband. It was, a, it was a wristband issue. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a bad choice on Josh Jackson's <laughs> yeah. part. Not but he's going to get on the court first, right? He had like yeah. twenty two points two nights ago or something. Like right. he's an NBA player, scores it. Right. So even a team like that who is five and fifteen and needs wings, like I don't, I don't think Keon Johnson's playing over Rodney Magruder right now because. Like, think about Keon versus Rodney Magruder. Rodney Magruder is just as good defensively as Keon is. Right. <laughs> and dude, yeah. is more ready to play because he's been in the NBA. And Keon, or uh, Rodney Magruder has played 36 minutes this year looking at the Pistons box scores. So it's he's going to spend time in the G League or he's going to spend time in college basketball. Like, it's going to be one of the two, I think. Yeah. Well, the good news for both of these guys is every time we do this deep dive and kind of pick guys apart a little bit, like the next game, they end up having like 25 points. So we'll be watching. We wish both of you guys the best. Yeah, no. And I I want them to succeed. And frankly, I would like to see Tennessee like play an offense that uh, actualizes their skill set more. And that's another part of whether or not they should go back to college or not. Like, is Tennessee going to put them in the best situation to succeed and develop if they're going to continue to throw the ball into John Fulkerson next year, who can actually return to school? Because all of these seniors are allowed to return to school next year. So yeah, it, it's a great wrinkle. It's like <laughs> the team at Drake, they're all like 23 years old. They'll still be younger than those guys, but it'll be a competitive advantage for any of these like good seniors that come back. Oh, it's hilarious. Wisconsin's like Brad Davison is the youngest player in Wisconsin's starting lineup right now. He's <laughs> like 29. Yeah. Yeah. Brad yeah. Davison is, he turns 22 in April. He is the youngest player in their starting lineup. Dimitri Trice is like 25. He's, I remember, he, I remember evaluating those, those guys thinking he was at like IMG's like prep school team. I, yeah. I will say this. I was a five year guy and that's because I walked on late and you have the fifth year. So I got two senior years. I would definitely recommend going back to school, especially where this year is such a wash with nobody on campus because of the COVID stuff. So I'm not hating on anybody who wants to go back and, and do it all over again if they don't have professional stuff on the back end. Hell no, especially if you're uh, Wisconsin and you are going to a Big Ten school like that. Better believe that getting to go back to school and having your actual senior year, especially after like you missed the spring of your junior year too. Like, oh, God, spring is is just a magical time on college campuses. I can't imagine. It's the best. So yeah, look, it would not surprise me at all if we see more guys go back than what we anticipate. Because <laughs> I'm trying to have they, fun, coach. Yeah. They're not really getting like a real college experience this year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it's like Scott Drew said that, uh, most of their players are taking it so serious in the bubble. They're breaking up with their longtime girlfriends. It's like, this can't be fun. Okay, guys. Like, let's, let's maybe not, uh, let, let all of this happen. <laughs> it's not that serious. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get back and talk a little bit about Luca Garza. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows 
that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, so we're back, and I want to have the Luca Garza conversation on this podcast. Uh, what a what what a time, folks! Because on the broadcast for was it Baylor Texas on Tuesday, Dickie yep. V with his Pepto Bismol bottle and all, probably. <laughs> Oh, man. Brings up that, you know, he can't understand how Luca Garza is not a first round pick. Meanwhile, Dickie V, who I have an immense amount of respect for. I want to be very clear on this. Like the work that Dickie V does for cancer research is like incredible. But I mean, Dickie V is probably watching like one NBA basketball game a month. I would imagine <laughs> like between all of the work that he has to do for cancer research, all of the uh, events that he has to go to all of the college basketball research that he has to do, like just let's be real about it. Right. I think that probably plays a role here in why Dickie V can't understand why Luca Garza is not a first round pick. Right. So the, the full quote, and I, I was watching, it was like coming off the under eight timeout and he's saying it. And I'm in my living room. I'm like looking around at, you know, myself, my wife. I'm like, is, is anyone else hearing this? And I, I text a few other people, but I'm not going to do the, the awesome baby with the capital A voice. But his quote was, you look at the mock drafts. They got him in the second round. It's all about his foot speed. Give me a break. If he's not at least a late first rounder, they're making a major, major mistake. You have to take guys averaging five, six points per game because they say, oh, they got great athleticism, potential. Potential gets coaches fired. I want guys that can perform and Garza can perform. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I don't really have much of a problem with that. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't really have much of a problem with Dickie V saying, hey, you know what? Like, teams should go more off of production versus potential, right? Because that's like a very real case. 
Look, I'm not saying that I agree with it. I'm saying that it's a very real discussion that happens in even NBA front offices. Do we take the guy that is good versus the guy that, you know, may not have produced as much as we think? Uh, I will say that among guys that maybe did not necessarily produce, Darius Baisley did not go to school. And he is a very, very good player for the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. Nasir Little, Little, like, just went off for 30 earlier this week and was among the biggest recruiting busts of the last decade. Uh, I think Nasir is still going to be a very good NBA player, at least like a solid NBA player, let's say. Uh, like, you can go up and down the list. Like, Cam Reddish has gone from disappointing freshman at Duke to being one of the better young defensive prospects in the NBA. Uh, if he can figure out how to score on offense, he's going to be really, really valuable. So I disagree with what Dickie V is saying. I am amenable to the argument, I think is the way that I would put it. My my initial problem with just the statement, and I agree with everything you said, is that I didn't know if, if so came back from commercial break. He wasn't even watching the Iowa game. I just didn't know if it was like this ricochet shot because Kai Jones had like five points and Greg Brown was, you know, had absolutely monster dunk, but he was fine. Like, I didn't know if he was just saying this is like a statement about college basketball or what was going on in front of him. And well, let's be real. It it probably was because he got super fucking angry about Greg Brown dunking and staring. (laughs) I know. He said, get rid of that. It's middle school stuff. I'm like, I don't, maybe you're at a different middle school than me, but I don't know if guys can dunk (laughs) like that. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> but but look but but look with Luca Garza take abs like the best player in college basketball I mean we, we can argue about that or whatever and he's produced immensely twenty eight and twelve against Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis thirty three and five against Minnesota and Liam Robbins sixteen and fourteen versus more athletic North Carolina bigs thirty and ten versus Gonzaga whoa, 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 wait like he was pretty bad in that North Carolina game uh, like let's God. let's well, be well, clear about this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me paint an argument, and then you can go the other way. Iowa fans will even say, like, he scores a lot of points, but sometimes, eh, whatever. Uh, 30-10 and versus Gonzaga, 2,000 college points, which is absolutely incredible. And yeah. he is a monster in the post. He knows how to use his body to carve out space. He holds his ground. and try to put your knee in his back. He's not going anywhere. He spins. He seals. He knows how to bump. He plays through contact. He can actually rim run a little bit. He gets ahead of the play for easy baskets. People don't really give him enough credit for his playmaking ability. He plays with a real fire and intensity. His shot is better. It's up. It's a little bit of a crank over his head. But it's just, it's the defense on an island, which we get caught up on a lot. That's the concerning part. He's in the fifth percentile per synergy, which is designated as poor for isolation, single covered place, which doesn't happen often at Iowa because they do a great job of concealing him and doing some zone stuff and he doesn't have to be out there. But in these clips, he can be very flat-footed when he's on an island. He doesn't close out all the way because he gets fear of getting blown by. And even when he does give the guy space, they have a tendency to still get by him. And the NBA is so built on pick and roll, it'll be drop coverage. It'll be kind of stunt and recover. The switches stuff, it's just not going to hold up. And that and that's, I think, the concern for everybody. No one's saying that his style of basketball isn't necessarily going to be able to score in the post of the NBA. But as a, a holistic view, there's still some question marks. Yeah. And look, here's the thing. I would not even rule out a team taking Luca Garza at the end of the first round. Like someone really oh, might totally. do it. Yeah. Like that is a real potential outcome here. People should like brace for that. That is a very real thing that could happen at some point, period, point blank. 
Luca Garza could go late in the first round. I will not have a first round grade on Luca Garza. I, I right. just will also say that. And the reason for that is defensively. I mean, you mentioned purely everything on an island. I will also bring up the fact that like, do you think that his short area quickness will allow him and his lack of length will allow him to even play like as a drop coverage big and not have the corner get turned on him by these very quick guards? Like he might not even be able to be a drop big in the NBA. He's got to be something. I mean, what what else would he be? But yeah, I'm with you. No, like my, he, he will absolutely play in drop coverages. Don't get me wrong, but like, will he be able to do it effectively? Like, I don't even know if he can do that effectively. And a big part of being a drop coverage big is being able to protect the rim. I don't know that he can protect the rim effectively against NBA talent. A sneaky kind of underrated thing about Luca Garza. He's never been a very good defensive rebounder. A lot of his offense, a lot of his rebounding numbers come on the offensive end because he gets either his own misses or misses from his teammates on those like ones where you can't understand how he gets the rebound because he's flat footed on the ground still and is just so good at carving out position that he is capable of being in the right position for the rebound. Luca Garza's defensive rebounding rates at Iowa. 20.4%, 12.7%, 21.2% last year, 18.4% this year. He doesn't really lock down the defensive glass in a way that you would hope, and that's even going to get harder at the next level in the NBA. Another issue is the passing, right? Like people bring up, oh, like, why can't he be a Jokic type? Why can't Uh, he be? Don't do that, yeah. He can't do that because he's not the kind of ball handler, passer, playmaker that someone like Nikola Jokic is. And the standard for doing that at the center position in the NBA is like Nikola Jokic, Bam Adebayo, like exceptionally high, almost impossible. Like we see Andre Drummond trying to do it right now. And Andre Drummond has like actually improved a little bit as a ball handler over the course of the years. Like Andre Drummond, that Cavs offense is a fucking train wreck every <sighs> night when he tries to like run uh dribble handoffs and tries to tries to run his stuff right (laughs) like it's not fun to watch so i totally get it with garza because i think there is something to the fact that he works his fucking balls off man (laughs) like he works so hard his motor is unbelievable i think that that above even the touch and his hands which are exceptional uh like all of it, I think the fact that he just plays as hard as he does is his absolute number one skill, point blank. But man, I, I just have a lot of questions on how it's going to translate on defense and even if he can handle a primary role on offense. And a uh, big time student of the game, there was an article on The Athletic early in the year about how he just kind of like wore out all these VHS tapes or whatever he was watching of Elijah and McHale and all the footwork and the post stuff. And he takes pride in that. Yep. I talked to, I don't know, three or four NBA scouts uh, yesterday, I think when we started kind of plotting what we're going to do here today. I yep. said, okay, where, where do you where do you have Luka Garza? One said late first, yep. one said middle second, and mm-hmm. one said undrafted. So it, it really is kind of beauties in the eye of the beholder. Maybe it's a little of a system slant somewhat of how we can fit in the way we play. Maybe it's not as much an up and down, maybe have better wings that can help on on switches. But it's not just like a guy like a a Cade Cunningham last night kind of withstanding a little bit where he can put him on anywhere, it'll work out. Like it's gonna have to be the right, right. fit there too. And 
the last kind of part I have is I think people sometimes just rest on like, well, he's the best player in college basketball. He's going to be the best. He'll be fine in the NBA. Like that doesn't always work. I mean, I, yeah. I looked up like first team APL Americans from like the last five years and they usually nail like two or three of them, but all right. So 2015, 2016, Tyler Ulis in the G League. Bryce Johnson in Ukraine, 16-17. Lonzo Ball, uh, he's on Team 2, close to maybe Team 3. Frank Mason just signed a two-way. Caleb Swanigan's out of basketball. 17-18 was ridiculous. 18-19 uh, had Grant Williams, who's fine, rotational guy. Cassius Winston, figuring out. 19-20. Miles Powell in the G League. Marcus Howard averaging one point per game for the Nuggets. So it's, it's not just like this easy switch where – Whatever it'll he's he's done enough in college he's proved very wrong like the NBA is still a, a very different game that the translatable stuff doesn't a hundred percent work. So your 2014 first team All Americans oh, Nick Johnson <laughs> Nick Johnson at Arizona uh, was a second round pick I believe uh, barely stuck in the NBA I think he did get like make the NBA though uh, Shabazz Napier solid backup point guard Doug McDermott great like backup four man uh russ smith not in the nba didn't really make the nba to a long uh degree right 2012 here we've got anthony davis draymond green doug mcdermott you know mcdermott solid draymond green and anthony davis all-stars then we've got thomas robinson and jared solinger right and both of those guys are in very similar situations to what yeah. Luca Garza was. And Luca Garza uh, was more productive than they were, to be sure. Uh, he was a you know better player than both of those two are, frankly. But, I mean, they, they just could not stick at the next level. And, like, you go down to, like, the second team, All-American team. Isaiah Cannon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Marcus Denman, Kevin Jones from West Virginia, uh, Michael K. Gilchrist, Tyler Zeller. Uh, it's it's not the same game. College basketball is not the same game as the NBA. It is wholly and entirely different. I love college basketball, but the geometry of the court allows these big plotting centers to have a greater impact. That's not to say that they can't translate to the next level. I think Luka Garza has a real chance to stick as a floor spacing backup center who knocks down threes and offensive rebounds and hopefully can put up more production than what he gives up on the defensive end. But like, I, I don't, I, I don't really see it unless he really gets better at a lot of different avenues of his game. Uh, and the athleticism concerns just aren't going away here, unfortunately. Like that's some guys are just limited and get the absolute most out of what they can do. And Luca Garza is one of those guys who deserves credit for getting the absolute most out of what they can do. But I, I've just got uh, I've got real concerns. Are you better than your problems? Right. So can you stay on your floor? Can you stay on the floor? Because one skill is so much better than everything else you give up. And I do want to say that I did cheat a little bit because 2017, 2018, first team All-American was loaded. DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Jalen Brunson, Devontae Graham, Trey Young. There's some good players there. Here's the thing. Martin oh, Bagley God. is, uh, like, bad right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he played the Celtics last night. He played 19 minutes. Like, he, he's legitimately bad. Like, Jock Lawndale was on that second team, uh, All-American team. He's in the NBL right now and is, like, a great 
NBL player and it was, I think, a EuroLeague guy for a couple of years, but like that's the level we're talking about. And here's the other thing with Luca Garza. If he is like a minimum center, and I think that at some point, you know, within the next five years, we're going to hit a point in the NBA where most of the centers in the league, let's say over 15 of them, are probably going to be minimum contract guys because teams are starting to realize that the replacement level for centers is higher than any other position. You can go out and you can find centers that are valuable for lower level deals. If Luca Garza is a minimum level player, there's going to be offers potentially exceeding that on the European market for him because he has, I believe, a Bosnian passport. Like you can essentially have him on your roster and it won't affect your roster limits uh, in many cases over in those European leagues, which means you can go out and get other American players and it can just kind of expand your horizons mm-hmm. in terms of how you can build your roster over in Europe. So overpaying for Luca Garza on the European market, and it might not even be an overpay because he frankly could become one of the five or six best players over in Europe. That's not like a bad idea. Like there is a real chance that he could make a million dollars, million and a half dollars a year uh, under a different tax scheme over in Europe where it's just more valuable for him to be over there. So, and he can have like an incredibly successful, like eight figure career over in Europe if he's that good. So it's, it's not as simple as just going like this guy is like, just not a good professional basketball prospect. He's a great professional basketball prospect over in Europe. His game just doesn't really fit where the NBA is going. And that's okay. Like it's, it's just okay to say that. Um, it, it's not a situation where your, uh, your New England brethren over here, Kevin McNamara, who I guess is like a former <laughs> Providence, Providence yes. beat writer, yes, 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 had to, decided to chime in and goes, totally agree with Dickie V, the mock at NBA draft guys who talk to no execs and slot Luca Garza in the second round need to be dismissed. Am I, mean, I dismissed? Like, I think I'm dismissed. I don't know. I mean, you talked to three <laughs> NBA uh, yeah, not, scouts not and evaluators. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, just, I think I just combined execs and scouts and said execs. Uh, but yeah, it's it's still, it only takes one to fall in love. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be a situation where if he goes 27th, I'm going to have my hands in my face and yell like Macaulay Culkin at home alone. Like, it, it, it's a doable scenario. Like, he could go 25 to, I think you had him in like the 40s. I think that's pretty yeah. reasonable. Honestly, I will be surprised if he gets beyond 50 straight up. Like, again, I don't even know that I will have him in the top 50. Uh, I would guess that I probably will, but it's not like a certainty necessarily that I will have him in the top 50. Uh, I would guess he'll be somewhere between 31 and 50 for me. This is this is a pretty positive segment. I, I, it started with the the Dick Vitale line, and we're not even totally disagreeing. We're saying there's some upside in the actual place he gets chosen. We're crediting yeah. for everything he's done for college basketball. We're positive here. Positive people. Like I, it's a more complicated situation. I tweeted this like when I saw the Luca Garza discourse starting on Twitter on Tuesday, America in America. I was like, look, this situation is much more complicated than anyone's going to give it credit for being, uh, because Luca Garza has a million options at his disposal because of the Bosnian passport. He is one of the most decorated, celebrated college basketball players of the last decade. He is 
Also just not really a fit for the NBA. But he's a fit, sort of, if you play a drop coverage scheme and need spacing from the five. Like, if I was the Bucks and I had a pick at 45, I would want him to fall to 45. I would want to take the shot that he can play within my drop coverage scheme. Uh, same with Portland. Like, Portland is an interesting fit for him. There are real, genuine teams out there that should consider him higher than where I'm generally going to have him. And that's why the idea of like the big board, right, of prospects in a lot of ways is kind of silly, right? Because every team should have a very drastically different big board based on the scheme that they run, based on the personnel that they have, etc. The idea of picking for only like the best players, I think, is not a great plan. But at the end of the day, the odds are that Luca Garza is probably not going to be like a difference making NBA player because it's just really hard to do that at his athleticism level. Like Nikola Jokic is, I would say even considerably more athletic than Luca Garza. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Like just more fluid and can handle the ball and like has real dexterity and like hand eye coordination and like vision with the way that he passes. And like, it's, it's just a totally different skill set, but I think he's also just a better athlete than Luca Garza is, especially this year. Like, have you seen much of the Nuggets this year? I haven't watched a ton of NBA, no. So he actually looks athletic. And that's not to say that, like, or I don't want to say, like, he looks athletic by NBA standards, but like, Luka, or, uh, Nikola Jokic has clearly added some quickness this year. And it's part of why he's like making an MVP push right now. Uh, I think like he's gone from, super elite player to like potential MVP candidate. And I think it's in part because he's quicker. He's just like a better athlete than Luca Garza. Like that even, even the comparison falls apart in terms of athleticism, I think, which is a concern. Yeah. And, and Luca actually has gotten in better shape too between the years. Like he's committed to working, but there, there is still just no question. There is still just some limit of, of how much you can do and you can only fix your feet so much. No question. Like, you read, like, I talked to Jeff Eisenberg for the story that he wrote on Luca over at Yahoo Sports. You read, like, what he does in the offseason to improve. Like, Luca oh, Garza yeah. is, like, the prototypical guy that I would bet on most of the time. Like, I would love nothing more than to bet on the guy with just super elite work ethic and, like, desire to be great. And like willingness to put in all of the time that he needs to, like those are the guys that I love. And I think it's in part why I don't dismiss Luca Garza because of all of those traits. I think he like has a real chance to carve out an NBA role because I just don't think he will stop working until he does. But, <laughs> yeah, all, all the all the articles <laughs> like he trains like it's a Rocky movie, you know? It's like <laughs> all the no old question. school stuff he does it, yeah. And that, those, that 80s soundtrack in the background running on the beach with like a headband will complete the whole thing. Yeah. And like those, and he'll, those he'll guys, like dunk to end the movie and you know, he'll be <laughs> in an NBA starting rotation and us mock draft guys. If I'm bunching that group now, we can just hit the road and try to yeah. run a profession, I guess. Yeah. Shout out us guys who talk to no execs and need to be dismissed. What a <laughs> fucking clown. Unbelievable. Oh, um, okay. The last thing we wanted to talk about here is gonzaga baylor you just kind of want to talk about which team that like we think is best and we'll talk about the prospects briefly we'll probably do a deeper dive on certainly gonzaga's prospects at some point baylor's deserve an interesting discussion in their own right but 
I think it's mo- this discussion is going to be more about which team do we think is best in college basketball, right? Yes. And they're both kind of on this collision course of each sides of the planet and they're supposed to play a canceled and the numbers are like freaky similar and yep. Gonzaga is first in offensive efficiency. Baylor is third. Gonzaga is 12th and deficient defensive efficiency. Tongue twister. Baylor is third. Baylor is first on Ken Palm. Gonzaga is second. Uh, Baylor's key wins, Illinois, Texas Tech, Kansas, Texas. Closest game was an eight point win. Gonzaga, it's like you kind of play who you play, but they beat Virginia by 23, Iowa by 11. West Virginia by five, Kansas by 12. I was heavy on the Gonzaga camp, and maybe this is just watching the game the other night, but I've like turned the corner, and I think Baylor has the slight edge right now. Uh, best three-point shooting team in the country. For players with over 10 attempts, they have five guys shooting over 43%. When I watched them play Auburn, they completely neutralized Sharif Cooper. Like Whatever the box score says, yep. like, whatever. Fran Fraschilla noted this during the game. When he got into the lane, they were kind of backing off him and forcing him to shoot and guarding that like law man in the dunker spot. And he was just confused. He didn't know what to even do from there. And yep. with Butler, I'm sorry, Baylor, Jesus, uh, they threw looks at him from every different defender, from Teague to Mitchell to Vital to Everyday John. Like you didn't know what was coming at you. And can, can you not, please pronounce uh, nope, Everyday John's <laughs> name? Matt Penny? I know it's I just put Everyday John. I'm not even gonna try it. Uh, just Chamwa Chachua. There, there it is. But we'll we'll uh we'll dub that over in the edit. Uh <laughs> it's not it's not a two headed monster attack. It's an eight headed monster attack. I mean, yeah. you have Jared Butler with seventeen a game, Davion Mitchell almost fifteen, Macy Oteague almost fourteen, Adam Flagler, ten point two. Matthew Mayer comes off the bench. It's like, how is this guy coming off the bench? 8.3 points per game. Everyday John, 7.8. Mark Vital averages 6 points per game, and you could argue he's like their MVP. Your boy Flo Thamba, 3.5 points per game. It, it's just a uh, – they're going to be a tough out, and, and obviously I'm not going on a limb saying that, but the pieces line up where I'll be worried as Gonzaga on how they're going to trap Jalen Suggs and, and force you into – more rushed, hurried stuff out of their their traps and different looks they show you defensively. So you mentioned that these are the two best teams in Ken Palm. They're not just the two best teams in Ken Palm right now, according to the advanced ratings. They are, I believe, second and fourth all time in the Ken Palm database. <laughs> we we right just now. did the Jay Billis. They're not good teams. They are great teams. Yeah. So Baylor is second behind the 2015 Kentucky team that was like God, uh, that had Carl Anthony Towns, the Harrison Twins, <laughs> yeah. Devin Anthony Booker. Towns, yeah. Yeah, uh, Trey Lyles, Dakari Johnson, Willie Cauley-Sign, Alex Poitras, Tyler Eulis. Uh, shout out the tweak for our, uh, Kentucky fans. Or was that, was that the tweak year? Or was that the, uh, what year was that? Was that, um, the hockey change years? I think that was. Oh, the, uh, yeah, that was the platoon system. Yeah. The, pl- the, pl- uh, platoon. There it is. Yes. Yeah, so shout out platoon. Shout out Bill Murray. So Baylor is second all time in Ken Pump. Kansas in 2008 is third. That is the Darrell Arthur, Brandon Rush, Darnell Jackson, Mario Chalmers, Russell Robinson, Sharon Collins, Sasha Khan team. They won the title. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was the Derrick Rose, Mario Chalmers year, right? Yes. So that was the third best team. And then Gonzaga is fourth right now. Uh, I think. 
that these are like by far it's like not even close they are the two best teams in the country i would honestly be pretty stunned if both of them didn't make the final four at least uh anything can happen once you get to the final four but i think i would be surprised if they both at least didn't make the final four for the love of god ncaa tournament bracket makers put them on the opposite side of the bracket like how do you not yeah like I, i would imagine they will but like even if baylor loses two games down the stretch here that maybe they shouldn't lose like if they lose to West Virginia because West Virginia is super tough and they lose to Texas Tech or whatever. Put these two teams on the upside of the bracket, please. The numbers say that Baylor is like clearly the better bet because they have a top three offense and defense, whereas Gonzaga has just like a top two offense and a defense outside of the top 10. I still think that my inclination is to go with Gonzaga because I think that I trust the talent a little bit more here. I think Suggs and Kispert are not just like top 10 draft picks. They are legitimately great college players. Uh, Timmy is obviously a legitimately great college player. Joel Ayayi is a great college player that I think is starting to sneakily be a great NBA prospect. Maybe great strong, but like I think he's uh, a very good NBA prospect who has a shot to go late in the first round. Andrew Nemhard was like, he got invited to the G League Elite Camp after his freshman year and has only gotten better since that point. Particularly, he was like a turnover disaster at Florida and Gonzaga has gotten that problem under control and has really made him a terrific uh, point guard who can control what he's doing with the ball. They're just a really good offensive team that I think is going to be tough for anyone to stop. I understand why you would take Baylor, though, because on both ends of the floor, they get it done. Jared Butler is a great college player that I think talent wise is like absolutely a potential first round pick. Davion Mitchell, I think, is a potential late first round pick. Uh, I think Macy Oteague is like if you told me Macy Oteague plays in the NBA at some point, I would not be surprised. Would you right. be? No, he's sneaky. I don't want to say forgotten man because he plays a lot and. Average is over 14 points per game, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Though, the one for me is when we finished, uh, uh, you kind of go about your daily life, I think, but I, I probably overanalyze things. As soon as like we finish, I'm like, ah, I should have done that. I should have said that. As soon as we finished the last mock draft pod, I said, I don't know why I didn't have Davion Mitchell in the first round. Like, I, I messed yeah. that up. <laughs> no, I, I, I felt <laughs> the same way. Yeah, I, it's like we hung up the phone. I'm like, ah, oh, I left that out there. Uh, 31 points against Kansas State on 12 of 16 shooting, 7 for 9 from 3. 27 points against Texas, 11 for 16 from the field, 5 for 7 from 3. He's just playing like he's on a mission right now. I mean, he hit threes over the top of guys. He hit a Jericho Sims switched one time. He hit her over the top of him. He plays it fast. He slows it down. He's kind of like, I'd say, been this late. Not that he wasn't a great part of what they're doing, but more of like a breakout candidate and, and getting more draft love and, and rightfully so. None of this is a, a slight on Gonzaga either. I still think obviously they're a fantastic team with six guys averaging eight or more points per game. And you have a big in Philippe Petrosev. Did I say that right? Philip Petrosev. He played on our circuit. I could never pronounce it correctly. That's why you're here for everyday John and, and that. But he left probably a little bit because of lack of playing time because Drew Timmy is so good and they use him a little bit more up front. But and by the way, he's getting I, I wanna... overseas is like a second round maybe guy. Yeah, I, I want to kind of talk about that real quick because 
Philip Petrashev, by the end of last year, he made, I want to say he was like first team All-American last year, by the way, which was dumb, like made no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> Congratulations, you stink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was he? No, he only made no, a couple of all American first team, teams. But he, yeah, no, but he was up there. There was some lofty stuff. You're right. He made third team AP, third team USBWA, second team NABC, and third team Sporting News All-American. So... Let's say consensus top 15 player in the country last year, according to people. And again, like, I think I would have said Petrashev was Gonzaga's, I don't know, third best player last year. So, like, don't don't necessarily, like, take these All-American teams as representative of basketball. But (laughs) Petrashev averaged, like, 17 and 9 last year. In part because Gonzaga's scheme is like very good for bigs to be able to put up a lot of points because if you can seal your man and finish over the top, like you're going to get buckets. And if you have good hands as well, that's another critical thing here. But Petrashev by the end of last year was like very clearly a worse option for them than Drew Timmy. Like if you watched Gonzaga play, like every coach I talked to in the WCC, and I think I probably talked to all of the staffs in the WCC, uh, they were more worried when Timmy was in the game than they were about Petrashev. And that says a lot about how good <laughs> this left. Gonzaga team is. <laughs> right, right, right. Philip Petrashev is over in Europe right now in the Adriatic League. He's averaging, I want to say, I mean, I'll pull it up as I'm talking, but it's like an absurd number of points for a guy that is a rookie overseas. Uh, he was, if I remember correctly, the player of the year in the Adriatic League in the first month of the season, or the player of the month uh, in the Adriatic League for October. And right now he's averaging 23.8 points and 7.6 rebounds. Yeah. As a first-year player overseas, he's shooting 60% from the field, 77% from the line. He's actually, like, starting to shoot threes a little bit, too, which is something that he wasn't doing at Gonzaga, which is interesting. But that guy had to leave because the other guy on Gonzaga's team is better than he is. Like, that, that's it's almost why, like, I can't get behind Petrashev as a prospect, really, is because <laughs> yeah. if I'm being real... I have to have Drew Timmy ahead of Petrashev as a prospect because Drew Timmy was better than he was. Like they were on the same team and Drew Timmy by the end of his freshman season was better. But I don't think Drew Timmy's a first round pick. I don't think he's like a top 40 guy right now. So how can I have Petrashev as a top 40 guy? Right? Like it's one of those things. But that's where we are with Gonzaga. Like this team is so loaded talent wise that a guy that was voted as a top 15 player in the country had to leave because he got beat out. Yeah, and they're both uh, again. They they both have six, seven, eight guys that can legitimately start other places. You have a guy playing overseas that's averaging twenty four points per game, but knew that maybe his time be limited. He couldn't develop as much, and now he's in discussion to be drafted. I, I hope it happens. I, I think the door is. I don't know if it's closed, but it, it's just about shut on them playing before the tournament happens. I feel like every like week or so we hold out hope that like ah oh, there's a day here they could do it and they haven't been able to so it, it's fingers crossed these guys somehow end up meeting in the national championship game in indianapolis it'd be great for college basketball and kind of like settle these who's really the number one and not the what ifs of oh there's a bad bounce in a game there was a couple of bad calls yeah. so they got knocked out early and we didn't even get to see it happen so 
the other thing I want to talk a little bit more about Baylor because we haven't like totally like we spent more time on Gonzaga and I think that's a little bit of an undersell on Baylor like it's a little bit unfair uh this team is one of the best three-point shooting teams I think I've ever seen in my life Hmm. they have Jared Butler shooting 44 percent Matthew Mayer who's like kind of sneaky like I've had a couple of scouts (laughs) go like hey what do you think of this Matthew Mayer guy um 46% 46% from three. Davion Mitchell, 49% from three. Macy Oteague is uh, really bringing down the average at 36% from three. Uh, right. Adam Flagler, who I think is going to be a stud for them next year. Like, I think he's really, really good in long term, maybe like 2022, 2023 NBA draft prospect. 45% from three. LJ Cryer, freshman uh, like little point guard who I think is going to be really good for them long-term 43% from three. Everyone on this team outside of vital and uh, Chama Chachua and uh, Flo Thamba shoots threes and shoots them at an elite level clip, not just a good clip, like hyper elite. And I think Teague's number is down as far as it is because he ends up being the guy that takes like contested threes late in the shot clock for them. Like if he was getting more of the open ones, he'd probably be at 40%. When you shoot like this, it just opens the court so dramatically. It's almost impossible for college defenses to defend. I feel like it happened so quickly too. I mean, the game was really close between Baylor and Texas. I don't have the score off the top of my head in the second half. And he kind of like looked twice and Davion Mitchell hits two threes. And it's like, ah, they're up 10. It's over. Like they're not letting that slip away and they're hitting crazy shots too. Like contested, uh, a, a guy switches and, and he's a little bit slow to switch. And then they, then you close out too hard. They beat you inside. Like they know different ways to attack and they'll, they dictate the tempo and pace really well, but they can also play to whatever style they're playing against and morph their game to it too, especially in the half court. And then as soon as you double team, somebody's an opposite and he's shooting 44% from three. So good luck. Yeah. And defensively, like you said, like they can match up against any type of team, period. Uh, there, there is nothing that they can't do on defense. They can play that weird zone. They can switch you defensively. Uh, they can just shut down the paint defensively. Like if they want to drop against someone, they can do that. Like they did against Sharif, essentially. It's, it's ridiculous. The defensive versatility that they have, like this is a perfect modern basketball team on both ends of the floor, I think. And not even the, I guess you'd say, general way you go about making up the team either with their with their personnel i mean it's not jumping off the page with necessarily five-star guys but some three stars some four stars some guys that are under the radar i mean like mark vital redshirted and he's as important as as anybody on the team so it's not the the makeup that teams generally see but obviously all these pieces put together and there's eight of them if not more it's obviously worked as their historically as you said you noted one of the best teams ever no it's really uh it's really fun to watch i think that's all we got today uh i i would take gonzaga it sounds like you would take baylor i would it, it'll be close it's a big time cop out but i think i would take baylor just a little bit and, and that could be because baylor's on espn or espn2 at like seven and gonzaga plays a little bit later <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be fair you know I, I don't have the australian luxury of, of waking up and doing back-to-backs at 9 a.m 11 a.m or whatever it is 
Well, and you have a small child. You have to get to bed a little <laughs> bit earlier. Like you're, you're, yeah, wakes up at five in the morning. You know, it's like, do I finish watching the Celtics game or I sleep five hours? That's those are the choices you make. Do do I watch Below Deck or do I watch Gonzaga beat do these I watch, teams' brains I, in by sixty? <laughs> do I watch Merit at First Sight and Merit at First Sight Australia that starts tonight, or do I watch some other random Big Twelve game? It's, it's these are the out. choices we make. Yeah, time, time out. You're you're going to Australian TV to try and find Married at First Sight. No, no, no. This is also on on American TV, but it's it's based in Australia. They spun off. It was so successful here that they had to do a season in Australia. I'll look for I'll look for you in the background. I'm sure I'm there. I <laughs> I, I can't imagine a circumstance where I'm not there. Matt Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Hope to be back here soon, talking more draft takes, college basketball, and an assorted grab bag of fun. Okay, so next week I will have my like big prospect project starting uh almost certainly i'm almost done writing about all the players finally it's just a matter of like all of the words being edited at this point and if the editors take a little bit longer i apologize that's probably on me because there's so much content that i've (laughs) filed to them uh but keep your eyes peeled for that i wrote uh about the pistons and the knicks this week so you can find those words on the athletic.com I think that's about all I got. Uh, all I would ask is that you please leave a rating, leave a review, do what you can to support the show so that Matt Penny can come back as often as he does. Yeah, but we'll be t- here. Let's do it, do it more. <laughs> you know, throwing at the rims. I should dunk it or not, but here's a dunk. Yes. Yeah. Subscribe. D- delete it. Do it again. Subscribe again. Yeah. You're you're like six foot eight. Like I need you to throw this shit down when I throw it up. <laughs> I'm a, I, was, I was floor spacing six eight. I'm in the corner, <laughs> a little flat footed. That's why I had my hands ready for the pass. I didn't know if you were driving or kicking or not. So, so when we talk about Luke Garza being flat footed, this is, this is personal. I I, I relate. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.